Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're learning B'Shalach Shishi, the sixth Aliyah in Parshas B'Shalach. The topic of our Aliyah is the manna, the man. Let's take a look at an overview of our Aliyah and then de- de- delve into some points to ponder. Our Aliyah is a little longer. It is 26 psukim running from Perik Tezai and Pasuk Yud Aleph to Pasuk Lamed Vov. Let's jump straight in. So Hashem now has appeared to the nation of Israel in, in the midst of their complaints. And he says to Moshe saying, to tell B'nai Israel, I've heard the complaints of B'nai Israel. Tell them that in the evening, in the afternoon, evening, they will eat meat. And in the morning, they will eat bread. They'll be satisfied with bread because I'm Hashem, their God. And that's what happened. In the evening, slav, this type of bird, the quail, comes, uh, um, arrives and covers the entire camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the, ca- the camp. And above this layer of dew, there was this, this dach, this chuspas, dach ha'kforah It's this type of, seem, it seems like a grain, it's this covering, which covers the entire area around the camp. B'nai Yisrael says to their, each one says to themselves, Manu, it's man, ki lo mahu, because I don't know really what it is. And Moshe explains, this is the bread which Hashem gives to you to eat. This is going to be your sustenance. And then he goes and he gives them a few directions. So it has to be that everybody gets lefi achloi, omer lagulgoles. There's going to be one omer per head. That's going to be the way it's working. So it's an equal distribution. That depending on the number of people in your tent, that's how much you will collect for. And that's what they do. And whether they did a lot or a little, it was always ended up being the, the same amount that they needed. And Moshe then says, another rule is, Al yoser mimenu ad do not leave over um, the man until the morning. But there were those who, of course, stored it away. And vayorem tolaim vayivash. And the man immediately got moldy, and it, was, it got wormy, and Moshe Rabbeinu got angry with those people for not listening to him. Then there was another rule, which is, is, is described. First, we hear that at the end of the day, it melts at the end of the day, so it's only meant to last one day. And Moshe tells them that on the sixth day, you should do, collect lechem mishneh. Each person is going to get double portions. Why? Because on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, on Shabbat Shabbaton, it's holy. You're not going to be able to eat it. In fact, all the preparations you need to do, you need to do today. So you need to do all the preparations beforehand, and that's exactly what happens. Um, and um, and we hear that, in fact, there are people who do try to go out, and they do not find anything on Shabbos. Moshe Rabbeinu gets upset with these people, and he says, Till when are you not going to listen to the Torah and the mitzvahs? He says, Hashem has just told you this Shabbos, and He told you to get double. Why are you, why are you leaving? Why are you walking around? And so that's what happened. People, people uh, um, stayed in their houses, stayed in their tents, and, and experienced Shabbos as it was. We hear a little further description about the man over here. We says that we, we hear that in fact it is um, it is a it it, it, it has a zera zera gad lavan. It seems like it's this white seed, and it tastes katsapichis bidvash. It has a a, a, a a taste a hint of honey in it as well. At the end of the Aliyah, we hear that Moshe Rabbeinu is, is commanded to take a tzintzenes achas. Moshe turns to Aaron and he says, you should take a container and you should put it in front of the Eidos, in front of Hashem, in order to be a memory for all generations. And finally, we hear that the man is eaten for the sojourn of the nation of Israel in the desert 
for a full 40 years until I come to Eretz Noshavis, until I settled land. Very beautiful Aliyah, a few points to ponder. First of all, what is this quail, this slav? Rashi points out it's a type of bird which was very fat, so provided a certain amount of protein, fat. This was a, a balanced diet that they were receiving. So the question then is, is why do they need both the slav, the quail, and the man? Wouldn't it be enough just to give them the bread? The manna every morning. And we focus on that. We always talk about the man. But why is it that the quail was necessary? So Rav Soloveitchik points out a very interesting point. And that is, is that the quail were brought overnight by the wind. Right? So the, the wind brings them in and these, um, and these birds fall, uh, fall about the camp. It is very possible to suggest that this is a natural phenomenon. It's very possible to say, listen, there are, there are, are all kinds of birds that fly across the desert. And there are times where the winds are too strong and they will be brought down and it happens to be it's in the right area and we can explain this all the way. We can't do that about the man. We can't explain and say, well, generally speaking, wide substance arrives every morning, just the right amount from the right amount of distance from people's tents and you can, uh, with a taste of honey, that, 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 that's a little bit beyond the pale, although there have been some have tried. Um, but it is worthwhile noting that Rosologic points out is that in history, there at, at times of night, that's when we see the quail as sustenance, what seems to be a natural pro- process, a mechanism. And during the day of history, that's when we see the man, where Hashem does it explicitly and supernaturally. And it's important to realize, as Soloveitchik is, is, is suggesting, that this de- uh, demarcates two different modes of Hashem sustaining us. Explicitly during the daytimes of history and implicitly during the nighttimes of history. And that's why we have both of these models for, eter- for posterity. Now, the name Man is a very curious name, the Manna. Why is it called the Man? So Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, points out that it becomes the word Ma. It's their way of saying, we don't know. And he says in certain languages, the word Aman means what? Or who? What is this? That is a curious kind of way to call a substance after its initial perspective, what people don't understand what it is. So Rashi explains that it actually comes from the word Minui, which means preparation. Whether it be that the man is fully prepared or that it requires some sort of grinding, we'll see perhaps in a moment some different suggestions. The idea is that it refers to the notion of minui, of preparation, not just their initial reaction to not understanding what it is. The Kleyakar suggests a very beautiful idea, and that is that the word man comes from the two letters that are necessary to be pronounced with the nose. That if one's nose is being held, it's very hard to, produ- to pronounce the sound M. Or N, Mem or Nun. And that is allegoric. This is a metaphor for the idea that understanding that Hashem's involvement in our life is a constant and we don't really appreciate the articulation of it until it's gone, until it's missing. Like when one's using one's nasal cavity to produce sound, that is, we take for granted until one has a cold, until one has. A blockage, and then one cannot produce the same sounds. That's Hashem's presence in our lives, and that's why it was those two letters used to teach us that lesson. A very beautiful and interesting perspective. Another question is, those who went out on Shabbos and Rashi and the Medrash attributed to Dustin and Aviron, but in the end of the day, like those who went out on Shabbos, why was Moshe Rabbeinu so angry? With them. And he says, you, you don't, you're, you're not going to keep my commandments and Torah. It, 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 they were just making sure. 
What's the big deal? So Rav Hirsch explains that working on Shabbos, when a person goes out and works on Shabbos, when Hashem told them that you don't need to, demonstrates that really at heart they believe that they're in charge. I have to look after myself. Thanks, God. I appreciate the, the encouragement and the, and the assurances. But you know what? I'm going to take care of this. Thank you, God. Which essentially means to say I'm brushing God out of the picture. God is there as an insurance policy. If things go wrong, then I'll turn to God. That, says Moshe Ben, is not how the program works. Hashem tells you he's going to look after you. He's going to look after you. And take him seriously. Don't go out and make it seem like you're in charge. That's what Rav Hirsch understands. The Malmigo takes it one step further and he says that Shabbos, in fact, is one of the most constant lessons in Jewish life. It happens every seven days. It's more, more frequent but than any of the Yomim Tovim. Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkos, very important ideas that they represent. Shabbos must represent an idea which is so important that it has to be repeated every seven days. What's that lesson? Says the Malbim. Very basic. It's the idea that if you don't prepare on Ere Shabbos, you are going to not be eating much besides for peanut butter and jam or jelly sandwiches on Shabbos. If you don't do the necessary work, if you're going to do the necessary work, you will have what to eat on Shabbos. If not, you will be out in the cold. And that means to say, that is the lesson of life. If we work in Olam Hazer, if we work in this corridor called this world, we will have what to eat in the next world. We need to remind ourselves all the time because every day we encounter decisions which plot two values at stake. One is instant gratification and one is longer term values. And if we remember the message of Shabbos, then we understand that I'm working for a longer term plan than eating the marshmallow right now. And that is the delayed gratification, the necessary component for living a life of values, not a life led by somebody else's advertising campaign. That's why when these people de denied the veracity of Shabbos, they went out to look, it was as if they were denying the entire Torah. They were denying the entire value system that Shabbos depends on or expresses. Now, what did the man actually taste of? So Rosh Bama says that if you look in different areas, so if you look in our parasha, it describes it as katsapichis bidvash. It's a honey taste. If you look in parashas ba'aloyscha, it describes it as an oily taste. Ketam l'shad hashemen, over there. So which is it? So the Rosh Bama explains for the younger people, it tasted like oil. To the, um, sorry, so the, um, it was honey for those of the younger generation who appreciates sweeter tastes. And for the elder, the olders, it tasted like oil. It had a more refined and mature taste system. Another suggestion he, he perhaps said is that when it was unprepared, when you ate it just fresh, without grinding it, it tasted like honey. But when you ground it up, then it had a more sophisticated taste of oil, which meant that it had multiple opportunities of engagement. Now, you may be saying, wait a second, that isn't what we always heard about the man. Well, what we heard about the man is a Gomorrah Yuma doth Ein Heyom Aleph. But let's, not, let's just take a moment to appreciate the Torah does tell us what the man tastes like. The Medrash is an overlay to that as well. And this Medrash, as quoted in the Gomorrah on Yuma Ein Heyom Aleph, tells us that in fact, quoting Rabbi Abau, that, that it had different tastes. It had the taste that the person would think about it as well. The Kama Gvanim. That it had many many different tastes, which means these may have been the base tastes, but in fact, you could actually have the intention to have all kinds of fascinating tastes because it was open to the imagination. The Chavitz Chaim was once asked by a student, what would happen if you didn't think of anything when you were eating the man? You know, what, what would it taste of? Now, I would have thought that it would go back to its default taste, which would be the, either the oil or 
or the honey. But the Chorus Chaim says, if you didn't think when you were eating the man, it tasted of nothing. It tasted like nothingness. And that's a very important lesson for life. If we live life without thinking about what we're doing, it tastes meaningless. It has no purpose. It has no direction. And that's perhaps one of the lessons of the man as well. We should know that the man actually represents many values in life. The idea that it's not, not left over overnight, it melts during the day. The fact that we can't hoard, we have to take only what's necessary for us. We're not trying to store away billions of mana dollars in order for, our, for us to be able to have great vacations and put away for our children at the expense of others. There's a lot of important lessons in the man about living day to day with God. Um, and in fact, the Gomorrah in um, Yuma goes to great length to describe all kinds of miracles that occurred with it. If there was uh, perhaps a financial dispute, the man would indicate as to, where, uh, as to where, who was correct the next morning. If there was a dispute in fidelity in a marriage, the man would also d- d- resolve th- those issues. People have to work further, walk further to get at those who, who are less worthy. A lot of very fascinating um, applications of how the man is a reflection of a spiritual type of lifestyle which, by the way, could be very difficult to live with, having that level of transparency when it came to the man. Finally, this, at the end, we hear about this container of the man, the Tzintzenes Haman, which is placed away for generations. Very interesting idea. Why is this necessary? The first thing we see is that the man is certainly super, uh, uh, supernatural because on a regular day, if you, le- if you left it for too long, it would melt away. But when it was placed in this container, it would last it for generations. Clearly, this is a, it is a supernatural phenomenon. The Malbim explains that it also demonstrates there are certain people when they are committed to spirituality, it's not just during the times of the desert. There are going to be people in the generations, for, for instance, the Shevet Kahuna, the priests who are going to be fed as if like by the man. They're going to be fed by the temple coffers where they're not going to have to be looking after their own Paranasa so that they are able to afford the spiritual pursuits. It's almost as if the generation of the, of the de- desert where everybody was sustained by by, by spiritual forces, there are going to be in the future generations a group of people who do deserve to be fed and sustained by spiritual forces, Le- living in the Migdash, serving the base of the Migdash, and being teachers and representatives of Hashem in society. And that's why the Tintin Saman, it says the Malbim, is a lesson for the generations that the man should continue in some smaller, perhaps more, uh, more humble expression for a special class of individual in society. With this, we close early. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.